was a fun weekend. Uh, we stormed Area 51. Yeah? All 10 of them. I mean, talk about an awkward scene that was, right? But it was fascinating. You had uh, uh, millions of people who pledged online to storm Area 51, right? To find out what the government has been hiding from us. To find the aliens, okay? Uh, these things fascinate me. Human beings fascinate me in general, right? But, but this whole phenomenon was beautiful. We're going to do it. We're going to find out where the aliens are. And so like there are guys who showed up. This one guy had this great, this great outfit. And basically, it was like a blow-up doll in his back. It looked like an alien was holding him. So he had to run. It looked like an alien was carrying him across the desert. Oh, I loved it. It was great. Oh, my goodness. This does connect to the sermon, I promise you. There is something inside of us that... Uh, is drawn to understanding where someone or something is from. Aliens fascinate us. An alien could show up and look just like us. They could eat the same food. They could sound like us, smell like us. But the fact that we knew that they weren't from here is enough to make us uneasy with them. There's something about location, about knowing where someone is from, which has a lot to do with creating safety or creating fear. Where are you from? In the scriptures, um, in the Old Testament especially, when someone is introduced, you find out where they're from. It's so-and-so from the land of Canaan. And they would say, son of so-and-so, right? It's almost like you can see the Google Maps zooming in on their house. So-and-so from Alma, son of Larry Walker. Oh, we know who that person is. We need to know where you're from. Where are you from? What is your home where is your home? When Jesus is uh, spoken to in the scriptures, there's always a great little interaction he does with people. Because like when they would meet him, they would say, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And he'd always have some great little kind of response or retort to that. It's a beautiful thing to that. Jesus of what? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to locate you to a region, to a city. And of whom? Of Joseph. Almost every time Jesus was about to be stoned, it had to do with his answer to where his home was, to who his parents were. If you go back to the Gospels, begin to search through, when do they begin to pick up stones to kill him? Is it when he teaches some different doctrines? Is it when he challenges them? Is it when he eats with the sinners? When is it? They get mad about all sorts of things, but when the stones come out is when he is called Jesus of Nazareth, of Joseph, and his response is different than that. When he begins to speak of Father God, Abba God, not just Abba God as in the God who loves us like a father, but the God who is my father. It was not uncommon in that time to refer to God as Abba. That was not uncommon. What's uncommon is to take it a step further. And you would say, yes, these are my parents, but these are not my parents. I have a different father. I have a different home. I'm not from here. If I were to, to walk up here, and uh, if I looked a little bit different, I walked up here, and the introduction, I mean, introduction was, hey, this is Pastor Devin. He's, he's here from Compton, Los Angeles. Hey! You guys would not feel super comfortable with me. I don't know you. When we moved here, uh, when I went to school, I started playing sports. I'd always get a question, which I wasn't used to from being up north, okay? The question I would get was, who's your kin? 
What was that again? Who's your kin? Kin? And of course, I would start to explain that. Well, I mean, my family's from everywhere. Who's your kin? And then the beautiful thing was, if you, have a, if you actually gave them a name, well, my uncle, Ms. Pat Medeiros, oh, oh, we know now. We know who you are. You have to locate that. There is something so human about trying to figure out where someone else is from, but this goes deeper than that. If you go through history, uh, history of thought, philosophy, church, theology, wars, the question of finding our home is a very big deal. If you would like to summarize the Old Testament and the journey of Israel, it's this. We follow in the Old Testament a people searching for a what? A what? Go on, say it. A home. Willing to do what for it? Willing to kill for it, to fight for it, to cry for it, to wail for it, to weep, to be angry, to lie, to cheat, to steal for it. People who have no home are a dangerous people. You know, historically, in Roman history, the Israelites were some of the most fierce people that they ever conquered. Even though they're one of the smallest little nations. Their armies were very puny compared to theirs. This army went up against Babylon and Assyria. But they were fierce. They were unpredictable. They were dangerous. In the hundred years leading up to Jesus' uh, ministry, they were responsible for one of the most vicious, bloody revolts in Roman history. Brutal. Someone without a home is a dangerous person. There is a need to find our home. When you go into science, into philosophy, one of the deep human questions that comes out of all different cultures and time periods is, where are we from and how did we get here? What's our home? Where do we belong? Now, this morning I want to talk about this for you. There is a, a need for you to have a home which goes beyond anything that you're able to fathom. Parents, I want to say this to you. This is, this is light, but honest, right? You have the most impactful role in your child's life right now of forming an image of who God is. The way you treat them, the way you interact with them, the way you speak to them, the way you say yes or no, the way that you show affection or you withhold affection, the way that you correct or you bring punishment or you bring direction this shapes, this is the foundational shaping of how someone understands who God is. Uh, well, when I'm watching TV shows, I cannot help but look for the storyline about the parents. If I'm watching about sports, and it's telling you about this great, amazing basketball player or this coach, and they go back, okay, so what's, what made this person great? And they would go back into it. It always comes to one place. Either this person had an amazing relationship with their parents, and this formed this trajectory of trying to, to live up to what their parents were for them. Or the opposite. They lacked connection to their parents. Or they had an abusive parent, so their, their trajectory in their life was pushing this connection away. And in my office, when we counsel with people, we will always come back to your relationship with your parents. 
How do you relate to your mother? How do you relate to your dad? These are two of the most foundational things in a human. Psychologist Freud. If you guys ever uh, heard of Freud, Sigmund Freud, you all start squirming in your seats, right? He had a concept of like the Oedipus. It's based on an ancient story. The idea is that in some way, shape, or form, our need to connect to our parent. And he had some more details about how that connection works, and we're not going to that one here. While I might not, yeah, so everyone knows the theory, he's laughing. I might not fully buy into the details of how he believes this works, but I will say this. In the hours I've spent counseling and my years as a pastor, I will say this. We have such a formative, powerful connection to our parents. It is extreme. It can shape us. It can take us this way or that way. But I want to tell you that that bond, that need to connect to a, to a parent, and maybe you didn't notice it in your connection to your parents. Maybe you notice it as a parent or your need to be a parent. Often, if we didn't get the connection with our parents, we try to create that connection with our children. Maybe you don't find yourself being obsessed about connecting or being friends or having approval from your parents, from your mother, your father, but you will see it somewhere. There are some amazing parents in the room. The odds are most of you who are amazing parents either had the great relationship with your parents or the awful relationship with your parents. And so you are determined to create the perfect environment for your kids for your family because you didn't have that. And this, even this, is a way that your need for home, I want to show you this. Your parents are the most clear signal or connection you have to belonging somewhere. But the, even that connection is not the end of it. This thing, if you can kind of picture a weed or a root, right, it doesn't end with your parents. The deepest need that we have is to connect to something beyond even our parents. So let me get a little bit light here because we got real heavy real fast. What makes you think of home? When Roy talked about the checkbook, when he said, what would you learn about me if you opened up my checkbook? Would you like to know like, what you learned about me if you looked at what I spend money on? I have a very passionate love. Would you like to know what it is? Who would like to guess? No. There are, I'm ashamed to say it, there are many years where my mortgage did not get paid, but something else did. Everyone's afraid to say it. Food, people. It's food. Not the Razorbacks, okay? It was food. I love food. Who knows what psychological trigger that's got. But for me, uh, we moved a lot whenever I was a kid, right? So I never connected to a home, to a certain house as home. Did you guys ever have a house that you lived in your entire life? Anybody? Hands. When you go into that house, does it make you feel like a kid a little bit? Do you feel secure? It can be a tiny house, a monster house. It can be a clean house. It can even be a dirty, ugly, nasty house. Uh, uh, I don't know if I share the story. Um, my grandmother had a trailer in Mountainburg. And when I was a little kid, I did not know that it was not a mansion. To me, when you open up the, 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 the front porch and you heard the, you know, the creaking sound and you walked onto the green fake golf course, you know what I'm talking about? And when you saw the couch and the washing machine on the front porch, I thought that was just great. She's got extra, you know. 
we're rolling, you know. I thought this was beautiful, right? Whenever we used to go outside and play and they had all these old trucks and old boats, I thought, man, they, I mean, this is, this is the best playground in the world, you know. I, I didn't know these weren't uh, great things to have in your lawn, right? Oh, come on now. My home when I was a kid, nostalgia for me was my father's, grand, um, my father's parents' house in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. This was my, my home. You'd walk into this place, and like, they had a grandfather clock, and you could always hear the ticking of this thing. Now, most of you would drive you insane at night. You could not, could you hear it through the entire house? This house was so quiet that if you weren't comfortable with silence, you would walk in and walk right out. They were very quiet people. You walk in, and all you would hear is the clock. But that clock and that silence used to give me such a, a peace in my heart. Uh, Metro North Mall in Kansas City. It is not there anymore. It is destroyed. But they had a section with balloons that would go up, like the huge balloons, right? And so they had these steps you would sit on, watch the balloons go up and down. I am a member of a fan club on Facebook of the Metro North Mall. And they have videos of the mall from the 80s and the 90s. Talk about you don't want to see the clothes or the hair, right? And it's a group of about 500,000 people who talk about how great the mall was. Do you think the mall was that great? Anybody? No. But it felt like something right? Do you have a food that reminds you of home? My wife, when I met her, I didn't understand her food choices. Uh, I feel like, well, I have to be careful what I say, but uh, her favorite, <laughs> I almost said something I got in big trouble for, um, but chicken pot pie was her favorite meal ever. And I, for the life of me, like she would tell me about this pot pie. She makes it once a year because it takes her so long and, and she makes it and, it's, and you eat it, and it's glorious, and then like you, you get like cranberry sauce, and you mix it. And the whole time listening, I'm going, mmm. <laughs> a pot pie is like 98 cents at Walmart. You, you know, you pop it into the microwave, and there you go, right? Yes, it's true. I've come to learn to appreciate this pot pie, right? But I will never have the connection she does to it. It's not about the taste. It's not about the flavors or the texture. It's about what every one of these experiences elicits in her internally. It reminds her of home, right? What is it for you? Come on, holler it out. What is that food? The what? Oh, the seasoning. Oh, hey, she's from Australia. Let her go. Just, just let, that's way too much sodium for all of us. You can't handle that. You're not ready for that on your sandwich, I promise you. Anyone else? Cheeseburger? Anyone else? What? Pot roast. See that? Hot? Hot rolls. Oh. Ooh, yeah. I, I, I can see that. Anyone else? What do you got? Ooh, gumbo. Now, see, right. Like, that tells you where she's from, right? You see it? Of what area? The son of and the daughter? Okay. It takes you right there. Anyone else? Meatloaf. All right. Anybody? 
Why are you quiet now? You're quiet never. At any other moment in your life, are you quiet? And you want to whisper to me when I'm on the stage. What is it? Rice Krispie. Rice Krispies with coconut flakes. Okay, are you seeing how we're getting weirder and weirder here, right? Like, not all these things actually taste good. It's not about the taste. What do you got? And where? The Sunday evening meal. <laughs> Sweet rolls, done. You all lose. This is the winner. What do you got, Emily? Hot now? No. It's a restaurant. Hot now? There might be a reason there's only one left. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Uh, Orange Julius is mine right now. If I get an Orange Julius, it connects me to the mall, which connects me to Kansas City, which connects me to home. I am honest enough now to say that that cup of ice and sugar is not that special. It's not. But it takes me to a place I need to connect to, right? And in everyone in this room, there is a need to connect to home in some way, shape, or form. Oh, if you had that connection, if you had that child at home, if, if it was your parent, if it was someone or something, a grandparent or a meal, when you lose that thing, so maybe that person who made that meal or maybe that mall or that person's home, you don't have that connection anymore. How did you fill that void? Because you did fill it with something. See, there is a deep, innate drawing in every human being to return home. Your house that you will go to after this is not your actual home. That feeling you feel when you hold your children and you connect with, say, a spouse or a friend, it reminds you of home, but it's not home. There are moments in your life where you will feel absolutely safe, whether it's at the beach, right? Sorry, you're not at home anymore. But even that beach is not home, it just reminds you of home. The Orange Julius is not home, but it reminds me of home. That connection that you've always wanted or you do have with your parents or the parents you wish you had, even that is not home. The best feelings and connections that you have in your life, even those things at the pinnacle of experience, those are not your home. Those simply remind you of home. First Peter 2, verse 11. And you thought I wouldn't open up the Bible today. Look at you guys. <clears throat> In the CEB. Dear friends, since you are immigrants and strangers in this world, I urge that you avoid the worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today, they defame you as if you were doing evil. But in the day when God visits the judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds. I don't have time to open up all the details of that, but I want you to see something here. That the, the, the Saint Peter, Apostle Peter speaks and he calls us something. Since you are immigrants, strangers in this world, depending on the translation, it might say alien, a foreigner, 
in exile. Since you are not from here, I'll translate, since this is not your home. The message Bible says it this way. Since this is not your home, don't get comfortable. See, the Old Testament, if you don't, if you don't see the value of the Old Testament, the Old Testament gives us an overarching story. It gives us symbols and things to connect to, experiences that, that will make sense of the things Jesus is going to teach us. The overarching story of the Old Testament is this, that people who have no home, people who are constantly trying to make something their home which isn't their home, and they're never satisfied, ever. They never find the place that they belong, and they always missed it. Because the place that they belonged had nothing to do with the land, ever. It was never about the land. The place that they were to find home was always to be in the presence of God. Whether it was in a tent or in a wagon, whether it was in a building, a temple, whatever it was, they were supposed to find home with God, and they never did. There was always something else that they were trying to fill the void for home with. The theme that we are to carry with us from the Old Testament is this. Just like Israel, we are still searching for our home. Here's the problem, though. When you go into the Scriptures and you begin to see the times that Israel comes under judgment, every time Israel begins to treat a place like home that isn't home, they get in trouble. When they get too comfortable in Egypt, they get in trouble. When they get too comfortable in the desert, they get in trouble. Too comfortable in Babylon, under Greek rule, under Roman rule, they get in trouble. Every time we mistake home with the wrong place, we have a problem. See, the thing is, is that inside every person in this room, when your worst moment hits you, you will feel alone. I'm not sure if you've experienced that yet. Pain takes us there. If you've experienced extreme pain, then you know what I'm talking about. When you experience extreme pain, it makes every single fake layer fall off of you, and what's on the innermost part of you comes out. In the song, St. Mumford calls it a soul, the same word that the Old Testament uses for it, the innermost part. The innermost part of the honest, most honest place inside a human being, when you experience pain, it comes out to the surface. It awakens. Your soul becomes awake. And there's a problem that happens when your soul becomes awake. Anything that's not home is not good enough. Did you hear me? When your soul is awake, any place that you've tried to call home that isn't home is not good enough. Who travels a lot for work in here? Would you raise your hand? Who travels a lot? You fly a lot. You're on the road a lot away from home. All right. Does it matter how nice the hotel is or how great the food is or how, if you fly first class, if you are away from that place that you call home, whether it's people or a place, if you're away from, too, from home for too long, is there any hotel which would distract you from that? Roy, does it matter if I put you into the, the four seasons? I had you fly first class. If you're away from home for too long, is there anything that can fill the void? No. See, I don't get to travel as much. So to me, I'm like, hey, I'll just go travel wherever. I'm fine. But I have traveled enough to know that there is a point when 
Nothing else can take the place of home. In the song, I don't have time, to, the song's actually got about four different sermons, and we're just going to do the one here. In the song, it talks about how there's a place, and he's talking to himself, and he says, how, he talks about how fickle his heart is, I meaning he can't trust what he feels. And, how, and he begins to talk about how he can't trust what he sees, he can't trust his eyes. And then he begins to talk about how he comes to a place where he knows that because he can't trust what he feels and he can't trust what he sees, that he's going to have to turn to one thing. He's going to have to allow his weakness to be seen. Meaning the soul, the brokenness, the hunger for something that he doesn't have is going to have to come out at some point. Because there becomes a place when your soul wakes up that nothing else will do. You can pour your life into your children, and that will do for a while. But be careful. If your soul wakes up, that's not enough. You can pour your life into your family, into your work, into taking care of people. You could be a pastor or a social. You can pour your life into any good thing, and there will be an indirect connection. Through my kids, through my parents, through my work, I, I feel connected to home, to God. But at some point, that connection won't be enough. Often it's too late. Often I find people feeling that awakened soul in the worst moments. Often it's in, it's in hospital rooms. When they've just lost someone, when they are experiencing pain, and typically it's too late in that moment to create that, to lead them home. To fill that void that they're finally feeling. But at some point your soul is going to wake up. Whether it's the last few breaths you have in this life, whether it's when you lose someone you love, when you, you face sickness, you face disappointment, there will be a place when you wake up. Who here um, has ever experienced being homesick? You spend the night at someone's house, just begin to eat at you. My cousin Michael's not here. Uh, I love him. He's not here so I can pick on him. Uh, there's a time when he was staying with us for a long time. This is way back when we were kids. And he began to get homesick. He got whiny. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, parents, when the other person's kid's staying at your house, and they get whiny for their mom or dad. You know what I'm talking about? And you fake like you care. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know it's hard that your mom or dad's not here. <laughs> what are you really thinking? Shut up. No, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm joking. You would never think that. You're Christians. You would never think that. When someone gets homesick, okay, think about yourself if, if you're in, in that situation or, um, or an experience you've had on the other side of that. When someone becomes homesick, they become irritable. These are the signs of homesickness. You become irritable. You can't even put your finger on it. I just need to get out of here. Pastor Zach has a homesickness. I, I love him, by the way. He's my favorite. His home is right next to him, by the way. His, his home's name is Kristen. If Pastor Zach gets about four hours away from her, he begins to... true, isn't it? Oh, it's terrific. They become irritable. The first sign that you are homesick, that your soul is becoming awake is you become irritable. Sometimes you won't even know what's wrong. I just don't, I don't know what's wrong. So you're going to try to fix all these things and none of them quite settle you. You can't be settled because the next step in being homesick, you're unable to be consoled, unconsolable. When my cousin Michael was 
feeling homesick. Uh, he had his auntie, Pastor Jay, the most compassionate person in the room, we all know. Stop! She's 10 hours away. She's not coming. <laughs> Didn't you? Devin, can you talk to him? <laughs> these, these, these stinking kids just won't be calmed down. Because we all know an eight-year-old, that's what they need to hear. Ten hours away, she's not coming. We can't afford to fly her. She won't be here for two weeks. <laughs> oh, that's great. Tough love, tough love, right? Speak truth and love. Second sign that you, your soul is becoming awake. You cannot be consoled. The Bible verse that used to just make you feel all better, uh, the song you used to play, the, you know, the, the nice expensive meal, that's what typically makes me feel better. You have a really great food experience and it just doesn't do it for you anymore. What is wrong? Work doesn't do it anymore. Whatever it is, it doesn't do it anymore for you. Third step, you cannot stay still. You got mobile. <laughs> right? When you have the kid at your house, like, like they need to go home. They begin to like collect their stuff, putting stuff in a bag, and they're like gonna like head out the door. You can't walk home. Sit down, you know. No, you haven't experienced that, or you, you weren't that kid? Okay. But, like, but they will not stop. They become frantic. I just got just to gotta go somewhere. I, I had to get home. The fourth sign that you're homesick, you become desperate. You begin to bargain, reason, whatever, whatever it takes. You can have Whatever. There's a sign sometimes you see as a pastor with people who will call me and they're in, in one of those moments where their soul's awake and they don't know what to do. I have a youth of mine that I had back when I was a youth pastor. And I love this kid, but he has, not, he has not caught a single break in his entire life. I believe both his parents are now dead and he's been exposed to drugs. He's just in a rough spot. And so typically, most days of the year, you have no chance to reach him. The walls are up. He, you, know, you can say anything you want. It's going to bounce off. But about one day a year, he will call me message me, and that soul is breaking out. He's irritable. He can't be comforted or calmed down. He's typically high when he calls me, but that's not enough. The high won't stop it. The, the, the beer that used to, to help, it used to be able to just survive, it's not enough anymore. You know, call me and he's desperate. What do I have to do to get this fixed? What do I need to do to find that thing I need? At the same time, I want you to take all four of these signs and flip them. Someone who is suppressing their soul, meaning you are trying to keep yourself from waking up. You're trying to stay asleep because it's easier. You're the opposite of all four of these. You're complacent. You don't need anybody. You don't need to be comforted. I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need classes. I don't need prayer. I don't need counseling. I'm fine. I'm good. Good. You're not mobile. You're not moving. You've been stuck for a long time. And of course, you're the opposite of desperate. You're numb. You feel nothing. If you're in that place, I want you to understand something. That your soul can wake up at any second. And if you are not ready for it, when that soul wakes up, when that hunger comes out, that honesty breaks through, if you're not ready for it yet, you will be in trouble. It's a scary place to be. 
to be surprised by what's on the inside of you. About to break into Enneagram types, but I won't do that this morning. We'll not do that. Now, how do we return home? All of the good things in your life that make you come alive, the beach, going on a hike, music, art, helping people, taking care of people, pouring into your family, your loved ones, doing, being a part of something that's bigger than you. All of these things remind you of home. It's, that, uh, it's the orange Julius in your hand. Mm. But don't confuse it with home. It's not home. Here's the way to return home. In the Scriptures, it calls us immigrants or sojourners. Think of it like this. Someone with the back clap, and they're just, they're going somewhere. They're journeying somewhere. Here's the first step to returning home. Stay awake. People around you and even parts of you will try to tempt you to put your soul to sleep. Do you like being around someone who's irritable? Anybody? If you've ever flown before, when you get next to someone who's like afraid of flying, it's very annoying. Because you might not be bothered by flying, but their irritability and like gripping, you know, your hand makes you on edge. Get off my hand. Is that really going to help if we crash? No, take your seatbelt off. (laughs) Here, have another drink. No, I'm just kidding. People will always try to put you back to sleep. When you are around someone who's awake, it typically makes you a little uncomfortable because they're a little irritable. Mm. Stay awake. What do you need to stay awake? Do you need to stay in your podcast, in your books, and you stay around certain people? Do you need to make sure that you have enough time at the beach? Spend time with the, the people in your life who mean the most to you that wake you up? Stay awake. The second thing you need to do, pack light meaning invest in the right places. If you saw someone walk into a hotel room and they began to unload a special chair and um, decorations and they began to put all their personal belongings into a hotel room, would you think this is a little strange? The answer is yes, you would. This isn't your house. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Don't invest the deepest parts of yourself in the wrong places. Business is good. It's not the right place to invest yourself. Hobbies are good. It's not the right place to invest yourself. The Razorbacks are awful. Definitely not the right place to invest yourself. <laughs> All these, these connections, right? The people who connect us to it, taking care of us. These are things, these connections that keep us Awake and driving us towards God. Invest there. Find a guide. If I literally was trying to find a place and I'd never been there before, I couldn't find my way, I would find someone who's been there. Someone who knows how to get me there. Find someone to go with. I can always tell by someone who's serious to grow spiritually or not. Someone who is serious about growing spiritually is so willing to accept help. They're the first people to ask me questions, the first people to ask about, hey, so what about this, and, and can you show me this, can you help me with this? The people who aren't quite ready yet to grow are the ones who are not really interested in that, oh, I don't really need that, I'm good. You're not ready yet, it's okay. When you are, find a guide. 
Here's the last thing. Please don't stop until you get there. See, the whole, the whole uh, the interesting bit we've seen in the New Testament is that not only are we not home, but we know this journey is not going to end until we meet him face to face. Don't stop. Do not confuse a hotel with home because it's not the same thing. You will feel closer to home when you continue. If, if you do not stop your spiritual growth, you will continue to feel closer and closer to home. It's almost like pictures. It's almost like you're walking towards home. Every step you get closer. I'm not sure if you guys have ever been on a long road trip. Anyone? Alone? Okay. When you start to cross the Arkansas line, hit Little Rock, right? Russell of the Ozark. You start feeling, I'm almost home. The worst experience ever. Cross Memphis. Traffic stop. Eight hours. In West Memphis. Worst ever. We're never getting home, ever. I give up. Let's just stay here. Don't stop. When you stop, that's when all the frustration and the irritability begins to build and you cannot fix it. And you will try a hundred different band-aids to fix it. All different things. It will never fill the void. Would you guys stand with me? I just want to pray over us this morning, and I'm going to have the prayer team come on up. And you know, The prayer team's job isn't just to pray everything away. Their job is to be guides for you, to, to kind of hear where you're at, what you're going through, and to kind of help you find your way. These are all people who don't have to have the answers, but they've been there. They're on their way home as well. Today's also corporate communion. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to open up the table and uh, you guys are welcome to come participate on your own um, here in the, in the church. It's the first day of check-in, so I want to make sure you guys get a chance to go check your kids out, right? <laughs> so we're going to open up the table. We're going to open up prayer. But I just want to give you a chance to kind of sort this out as you need to. Father, we come to you this morning. If we are irritable, if we can't be consoled, we've tried to put Band-Aids on it, tried to fix it. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Maybe we just need to to, to do more of this. Maybe we just need to, to do more of that. If we just can't get that thing filled. Or maybe if we know that we have been trying to set up a substitute home or pouring our life into people that matter, into our kids, into our family, into the church or into a business. And that has value and that, that connects to you, but it's not you. That even in, a, in pouring ourselves into good gifts from you, we've pulled ourselves away from you. We're hiding from you. In whatever way it is that we need this morning, I ask that you would awaken our souls this morning. That cry in the heart of every human being, where am I, where do I come from? Where do I belong? Where am I safe? I ask that we would have a church of people so connected to their Creator that when the worst moment of life hits them, they're ready. They're ready. That they would find home before they need it. 
that they would know and connect to home before they, their life in this, this place ends and they head towards home. And so, Father, we ask right now, Holy Spirit, you're able to make sense of our emotions and our thoughts and the depths of our, of our experiences. And we ask right now that you would begin to kind of just help us make sense. Help us allow that irritability, that desire to connect to you, to our maker, to our home, that you would wake us up, that we wouldn't live any other day asleep anymore. That we would pour into our neighbors and our coworkers and our children, that our children would know the way home because we've been there. And so, Father, we just welcome you. Wake us up today. At the table with the bread and the juice, laying on of hands, sharing honestly from our heart that you would wake us up this morning. Before I close, remember as I close this out, the table's going to be open. Come on up as individuals or families. You're welcome to take it and hang out. We're going to have a worship plan for a little while. The prayer team's here if you need it. Father, I just pray over this body, Lord, that you would lead us into a place of safety with you, that we would let our, our souls awake, the deepest, most honest parts of us come to the top in a safe place with you, and that you would lead us to connect to our maker, to our, our home, to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.